From Bristol, UK, I'm Pommy Harmer. And I'm Melissa Shimam. This is The Quarantini. As we dip in and out of lockdowns, we're bringing you this podcast to keep your spirits up. Every episode will bring you a mix of ingenious responses to the virus, an in-depth interview, and a dash of the unexpected. And also great music as much as we can, including that part of our opening music by the Old Bones Collective and thanks to their leader, Seb Gutierrez, for sharing it with us. Hello and welcome back. This is episode 34 and we have a whole host of wonderful things coming up in the show. Yes, including an interview with a man from a place here in Bristol called the Underfour Yard and you'll know more about it after this interview. And we have our usual roundup of ingenious responses from people all over the world. And to finish up, we'll have some music, as usual, since season two. And today we've chosen to highlight the latest track by... Bristol artist as well, Dr Mika. And now it's time for our interview. Yes. So this week I wanted to talk with um, an institution here in Bristol because we're reopening soon. So everybody's got some different plans. And I was thinking about this very special place called the Underfall Yard, which is set on the western end of our harbour. If anyone knows Bristol, there's a um, everything is set up around the harbour side, isn't it, Pommy? It absolutely is. And the Underfour Yard is a fantastic place. You'll know more about it once we've talked with our guests. That is actually in charge of uh, regulating the water and how they enter into the harbour. On top of that, by the yard themselves, they do some boat repair. And the place has become, in the uh, past few decades, um, heritage site. So there is a way to learn more about the site and to visit their little museum, to have access to visitor centre, and they also have a lovely cafe. This has, of course, been uh, impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. So we're going to discuss how they dealt with that difficult time and how they are now recovering. This is why I'm talking to Andrew uh, Blaney and his Heritage Learning and Volunteer manager at the Underfour Yard Trust. So the Underfour Yard is a place that is very well known to some Bristolians and maybe a little less known to others. It's situated in a very uh, beautiful and interesting location on the what we call the west side of the harbour near Hotwells, between Hotwells and South Bristol, basically. Yes. Can you tell us why this place is special for us and how you came to work with the Underfour yeah. Yard? Well, I was a teacher for several years, a history teacher in Bristol and in Spain as well. And uh, being a history teacher and obviously passionate about history and heritage, I decided to make a change and try and develop my career in um, museums and heritage sites. And so when I returned to Bristol from Spain, I uh, retrained effectively to do museum education, museum events, public engagement work. And uh, in doing that, I also volunteered at Underfall Yard. And the reason I chose Underfall Yard ahead of all the other brilliant heritage sites that I could have volunteered at was that I love boats. 
I love machines and I love old buildings and Underfall Yard has all three of those. What I really like about Underfall though is the fact that it has many layers of heritage significance. It's the place from which the water level in the harbour has been and continues to be maintained for 200 years. We tell the story of how the harbour was built, largely a hidden story actually because people who walk through the yard don't realise that underneath their feet are four massive tunnels which keep the water level in the harbour from either completely emptying out or from being flooded by the tide coming in. But in addition to that, I absolutely love our Victorian workshop because when I first started working at Underfall Yard, frankly, I wasn't that well aware of the details of the machines that we have. Some of them were pretty hard to understand, but our brilliant team of volunteers have got those machines working again. They've trained me how to demonstrate them. I hasten to add, not use them to make things, to demonstrate them. And I just love to demonstrate those machines for tours and visits, especially with youth groups. So yeah, that's that's why I love working there and that's why I think it's important but actually for most people the best part about Underfall Yard as you've alluded to is the location because it is beautiful it's right at the end of the harbour so as you say the western end and the view from the front of what is now our visitor centre and cafe just takes in the whole expanse down the harbour and then there's Clifton and Clifton Wood to the left and it's really nice especially in the summer whenever all the little boats are out and it's busy down there not so busy at the moment but fingers crossed we're going to get back there soon yes absolutely so it's one of my favorite places and Bristol favorite location and favorite cafe as well first time I've been there I was yeah taken away by this beautiful view and mix of history like layers of different periods of our times yeah. what do you do with with your visitors can they participate look at what you do to fix the boats or is this mostly well, in the museum that's a very good question. The best thing about Underfall Yard from the point of view of our visitors is that it's a working site. So it feels a bit like a museum because there is a visitor centre and we do tours and we have an education programme and a volunteering programme. So it has those museum type elements. But actually, the boat builders, the blacksmith, welders, riggers, all of those people, they're doing, if you like, real work. So they're not doing, you know, demonstration work. So our private businesses that we have, boat builders and riggers, etc., they uh, sometimes allow the public to come in and see what they're doing. And one of the best bits about our most recent virtual tours has been that I've been able to take my phone and selfie stick and go in, go into the boat builders workshops when they're not there and have a sneak peek around. In terms of what visitors can normally do. The visitor center is open most days in normal times, of course. And uh, in the visitor center, they can talk to volunteers and learn about the history that I've briefly outlined already. And of course, there's so much more than I have covered. But I think what people really appreciate when they come down is the fact that within the modern city, as you mentioned, we uh, have a working place, which is a real reminder of the time when Bristol was a busy commercial port, because obviously 99% of the rest of the harborside area has been redeveloped. And lots of those developments are very pleasant. The shops, the bars, the bistros, the apartments, many of them are very nice. But it was felt by the Underfall Yard Trust in the 1990s with, I think, considerable foresight that it would be a reasonable thing to try and protect some of the industrial heritage of the area. And that's what we try and do to this day. The horror side has become, I think, even more of the centre of Bristol with the pandemic because people yep. were deprived of a lot of activities. And so walking along yep. the harbour side and probably up to the western end has become part of a ritual for a lot of people, including myself and I'm sure a lot of our listeners. So how has all this affected you? Yep. At some point, the whole area was closed and we could only walk on, on the backside. Yep. Um, the view on the underfoyard, which is so beautiful, was still available. But what did you have to change? 
changed? Did the work continue behind closed doors or how did it go? Well, the biggest change was that the visitor centre and the cafe were closed. So I'm thinking now of March 2020. And shortly after that, the whole site was closed for walkthrough pedestrians because it's always been a very important part of what we do, that the gates are open and members of the public are welcome to walk through. Um, before the COVID pandemic, the only time those gates would be closed would be if um, there was a potentially dangerous thing happening in the yard. For example, if they were lifting a boat with a crane, we can't have people walking through, obviously. So the gates would be closed from time to time. But with COVID, of course, we had to close those gates altogether. And the main reason for that was the safety of the business tenants who work there and Bristol City Council, who continue to use the yard as their base. They have critical infrastructure work to do for the docks to maintain the safety of the harbour. So anyway, the yard was closed, the visitor centre was closed, and all three of our staff were put on furlough leave. And pleasingly enough, though, in August, we came back from furlough on a sort of part-time basis. And we're now just getting back into the swing of things. And we've recently had a very helpful grant from the Heritage Lottery Fund, who also deserve thanks for helping us with our original project between 2014 and 2018. So we've got lots of things on the go, which perhaps we can talk about in a moment, looking to the future. But yes, it certainly has been a challenging year and um, not one I'd care to repeat, I have to say. <laughs> it was difficult. It was. What did you do in the meantime? Do you kind of keep in touch with the place? Could you yeah, actually well, go? And absolutely. Then... Keep in touch with the place. Since the, the sort of partial furlough leave arrangements, I've been down there effectively partially and I launched the virtual tours, which have been far more successful actually than I thought they would be. And we didn't launch those virtual tours to make any money for the charity, although we have had donations from them. Instead, we launched them just to keep Underfall Yard and its story in the public eye. Because as you briefly alluded to at the start, many people haven't really heard of Underfall Yard and whenever I explain where I work, I always have to sort of spell out underfall and explain where it is. It's not, for example, SS Great Britain or Clifton Suspension Bridge, which mm-hmm. frankly everyone has heard of because they're very famous attractions and important heritage places. And so Underfall Yard, we felt it was important to keep it in the public eye with virtual tours. And that's been the main thing I've been doing. And we've just added new dates for April. And so I think we will continue with some form of remote access after all of this. So I suppose something good has come of it. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I mean, we don't charge admission fees for our visitor centre and we don't make a massive fuss of the museum side of things. We try and create, if you like, the ambience we try and create is as a working boatyard that welcomes visitors. So it is first and foremost a working place. And as such, it's not sanitized in the sense that we use signage and other ways of informing the public that it is a working place, that there are potentially hazardous operations happening. And obviously we take great care to make sure it's safe as possible. But what I really am looking forward to the most is getting back to events because obviously I think Harbour Festival this year is still, I, as far as I know, still being discussed as to whether the Harbour Festival will go ahead in its usual form. But we have an event called Docs Heritage Weekend, which takes place in September, which we are really hoping will go ahead this year again. But uh, all these events are really important for us because we've recently bought a new stretch tent, which is one of those pointy, sticky up tents. It looks a bit like a sailing ship, we think, at Underfall Yard. And it's in front of our visitor center. We can use that stretch tent to um, host events and to things. And I'm really looking forward to those special high days and holidays that we can have at Underfall Yard. Again, fingers crossed. Wonderful. You said you had many plans for the future. Yep. You have a potential date for reopening. Yes, 
cafe, the yeah. gates. The gates will reopen, as in to walk through the site, and the cafe will open as a takeaway-only service on the 31st of this month. We're in the process of just making sure that, that it's COVID-safe, that people can visit safely, and all of that type of thing. Of course, the good thing is we had already done most of that work last summer. And then at some point in the future, the visitor center itself, complete with volunteers and all of the interactive exhibits that we have, all of that will reopen. But that, there's not yet a date for that. However, the cafe being the first step and letting people come through and see it and visit and do all of the things that we have outside is a really great thing. I mentioned briefly the stretch tent that we have. That's a big part of what we use the Heritage Lottery Fund grant for. Uh, take more private event bookings, which is a really important source of income for a small charitable organization like us. And we've already got a booking to use the tent in June as part of the Bristol Shakespeare Festival. They're going to do some performances right at the front of Underfall Yard, again, subject to restrictions and so on. And another big event we're doing, hopefully in August, is we're going to be a venue, we hope, for the Bristol Photography Festival. The details of that are still being worked out, but some excellent, never-before-seen photographs of Bristol Harbour just as it closed as a commercial port in the 1970s those photographs are going to be hopefully displayed at Underfall Yard for that festival so we've got quite a few important events coming up which we hope will help us relaunch so yeah we're hopeful yeah that's wonderful that's a that's an amazing set of events there's Harbour Festival well fingers Rock crossed yes yeah. yeah, so we of course it all depends on a lot of other elements but yes. the Shakespeare Festival you mentioned yep. and then the Photo Fest which yep. has been on my radar that seems like really Really, really amazing. Thank you so much. Okay. Taking us through the wonderful Enderfall Yard. Thanks again, Andrew. And see you there very okay. soon. Okay. Thank you very much indeed. And yep, more than welcome. Thank you. Well, it's good to hear about festivals that might and hopefully will be happening this summer, isn't it, Melissa? Yes. And so from June, it would be an ideal time to go back around the Enderfall Yard. So thank you so much to Andrew for being with us and again the end of Foyard is situated by the end of the harbour by between Hotwells and South Bristol so if you are a fan of Bristol pubs it's straight in the middle between the Nova Scotia and the pub house I guess Bristol drinkers will know what I'm talking about Okay, it's now time for our roundup. So let's start off in Bristol with the University of Bristol, who have just released a new survey to find out how local people want to fly in the future and whether the impact of COVID-19 has influenced our behaviour. Over the last year, as we all know, the departure halls have emptied and planes have remained on the runways. Passenger numbers have dropped by a whopping 90%. And many people have become hopeful that this represents a great opportunity to fight climate change. So what do you think about flying in the future? This is what the University of Bristol want to find out. And the aim of this survey is to find out how you might return to flying in the future, as well as the reasons for getting on a plane or even sending gifts or receiving parcels through airmail, which is something that I hadn't thought about. Professor Martin Parker from the University's Inclusive Economy Initiative. Remember, we interviewed him in, in episode 17, all about post-COVID and what new ideas might come out. He's keen to stress the importance of this research for local issues, particularly such as the expansion of the airport, which is a very hot topic here in Bristol. And he thinks we really need to think about the resistance that this will cause and the impact of jobs that might be lost. 
Mm, interesting research. I think it's really key to know. So do, do you mean that Martin Parker wants the airport to be expanded? No, no, he doesn't want the airport to be expanded. But I think he thinks if we fly less and the airport is used less and the, run, the extra runway doesn't get carry on, that will have an impact on jobs. And that all needs to be thought about when, when making decisions. Right, makes sense. When you said how we want to fly in the future, it's funny because I had in mind all this sort of like spaceship and new engines, but no, actually you were still talking about <laughs> how much we want to fly by plane probably. Well, that's just um, my uh, eccentric mind at play. More good news from Bristol here is simply that the latest coronavirus rate is now at 51 new cases per 100,000 inhabitants as of the 18th of March, which is uh, lower than England's national rate, uh, again, which is 56. So we're still quite on track here. So I, everybody's waiting for um, the sort of like easing of the restriction that will start this week. And in memory of those who've died from COVID, people have tied hundreds of yellow ribbons to trees near the Magna Carta Memorial in Surrey. The tribute's been organised by the Forest of Memories, which eventually hopes to plant a tree for every coronavirus victim in new forests across the country. Another initiative in the UK that might help a lot of people, Pommy, have you heard about the test and trace support payment? No, not at all. So actually, I just wanted to take this opportunity to remember people that it's actually possible, right? So if you're on a low income or if you're self-employed, if you have been told to self-isolate by the NHS, test and trace or the COVID-19 app, uh, you might have lost income due to this um, policy and self-isolating. So you are unable to work from home, then you might be able to apply for a grant and that's up to £500. So as I said, you must be on low uh, paid employment and or self-employment and be self-isolating. So do check uh, all the criteria uh, online on the website related to the NHS test and trace app. It's on uh, .gov.uk, of course. And you will have to provide, for instance, ideas about proofs about following universal credit or working tax credit and this sort of income-based employment and support reliance, and then you would be apply you would be able to apply for this extra grant. Okay. Now, Melissa, do you remember the goats wandering in Llandudno during the first lockdown? Well, they're back. Only this time in even greater numbers. The great Orm goats are causing chaos with kids roaming the streets and the neighbourhood gardens. And do you know why? It's all because they missed out on their annual contraceptive programme. Who knew that goats were on an annual contraceptive programme? I certainly didn't. <laughs> Apparently, this is usually given to the nanny goats every summer. Except last year, thanks to the pandemic, meaning the numbers have soared. Residents can only hope that the herd heads for the hills very soon. Well, bless them. What have we got in the rest of the world, Melissa? Globally, there's an interesting example I read intensively about, and Pomi, this is Taiwan, right? We've obviously reached a milestone now. It's a year of the pandemic. There's the experience of Taiwan is really unique. They have uh, read out the pandemic almost entirely 
And um, they are quite comparable to Britain. They have 22 million uh, inhabitants and it's an island. So, yeah, I thought it would be interesting to draw parallels there. Uh, just, for instance, to know that Taiwan has lost, and I mean that, 10 people, right? 10 people. Oh. 10 people. 10 people have died of COVID-19 in Taiwan in the past 12 months. And a thousand cases have been documented. And there might be someone hiding away. But with such a system, I highly doubt it. So how did they do it, you may wonder, right? So uh, some studies have now uh, brought a lot of uh, arguments and clues about how they worked. And to summarize, basically... The strong point is that Taipei, the capital, has been through different pandemics before that are very much related to the COVID-19, unlike the flu and how they spread. That include the SARS model. So Taiwan has been able to uh, use um, hospital infection control, border control, and then to engage in a very efficient communication to avoid disinformation. So you might be thinking, oh, it's hard to avoid when you've not been through this. But what happened is like as early as the 31st of December, when China reported cases of this mysterious disease, Taiwan just started screening all the travelers from Wuhan they took it seriously right away. They know that this can happen. They had SARS before. And from the end of January, they closed the borders to all travelers from China. And then they closed the border altogether. And 10 cases of people who died from coronavirus and a thousand people have been sick. So they've been monitoring with a government platform that's called the Central Epidemic Command Center, uniting efforts from the government, academia, the medical system and the private sector in order to just trust and, 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 you know, s s save people who are catching the disease. So it is doable. And the whole world now may want to learn this lesson a bit more intensely. What do you think? I think we will learn lessons. You know, we're not next to China. We haven't gone through a pandemic and we were complacent, weren't we? So next time, hopefully we won't be. Now, this next one is about a painting created by a British artist called Sasha Jaffrey. Now, he spent the first eight months of lockdown creating it in the ballroom of a Dubai hotel, which was empty of visitors. It's the world's largest ever painting and has just sold for £45 million to one person and it's raised funds for children's charities. Isn't that amazing? The price itself makes it one of the most expensive paintings ever sold at auction by a living artist. Jaffrey put out an appeal for children to send him their pictures about how they felt during the pandemic and he got responses from 140 countries. So he used all this for inspiration and he said he looked through the work and then he painted just from his subconscious. Nothing was planned, there were no sketches, no drawings, he just literally poured paint and put layer after layer on top of each other, just feeling his way through until this complete magic happened. Creative people. And last but not least, I just wanted to mention um, something that happened in New York and this past week. In the East River, a couple of dolphins have been wandering around and playing with wanderers. And it's something that's extremely rare there. It's a very, very busy um, part of uh, New York's East River. So the conservative uh, society, the conservation society had said that it might have actually been related to the coronavirus restriction, which might 
bring uh, fewer boats traffic and a cleaner water to the canals and waterways. So I think you remember at the beginning of the pandemic last year, we all saw these images of dolphins swimming near uh, St. Mark's Square in Venice, Italy. Um, and we have been seen again on the very same day than the ones in New York. So, well, I guess it's a lovely image, right? Dolphins being uh, allowed and permitted to get closer to big cities because of cleaner water and less traffic. It's a great image. It's a great image to finish our roundup with. So, Melissa, what have we got now? Time for something completely different. Completely different, isn't it, Pommy? So we do love to highlight music in this podcast. And usually we have a lot of like folk music, people who are very talented at running everything all on their own and uh, create something that is, you know, beautiful, melancholic or reflecting their own inner world. Um, today, I just want to highlight a new music from here in Bristol uh, that is totally different. So it's called Here and Now. <laughs> it's a new track that is more like drum and bass oriented. Um, party time, um, pick up the sound at home and dance along. It's by Dr. Mika, who's um, some sort of a hair of uh, the great tradition of the Bristol sound, like people like Ronnie Size, and who's still out there and still planning to um, participate into a lot of festivals this summer. So it's just going to give us a little uh, preview, or can you, we say pre-sound, Pommy, <laughs> of uh, what can happen to throughout the summer if we can go to festival again. Here and Now by Dr. Mika. a track called Here and Now by Bristol musician Dr Mika. That's it for the quarantine this week. We'll be back next time with a new cocktail of ideas, music and positive news for you all. And we really love to hear from you so please do uh, send us a little email if you have news to share at uh, thequarantinepodcast at gmail.com for instance. 
And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and now YouTube. Yes, do go and check for us there and we'll have more of that all throughout April to celebrate our first anniversary, Pommy. This episode was hosted by me, Melissa Shamam, and produced by me, Pommy Harmer. Thanks for listening and stay safe. Which is here.